0: All right, let's turn our attention now to the scriptures, open if you have a Bible with you, whether a hard copy or on your phone, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at just a half a verse in Ephesians 1. If you think that's crazy, we're going to spend a whole morning and a half a verse, then I invite you to come to Perspectives class this afternoon at three o'clock because I get to teach perspectives this afternoon. And in the same amount of time we're going to do a half a verse, I'll do the whole Bible this afternoon. So if that's more your speed, we're going to look at God as a missionary God from Genesis to Revelation today at Perspectives. You can come and check out the course. It's free today, and it runs through May. It's a couple of hours every Sunday afternoon, but it will give you a great understanding of God's heart for the world and how we can be a part of that in our lifetime. Today, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, you may think, well, that's just a throwaway verse. But actually, it's not at all. Paul establishes in the writing of this letter, right out of the gate, that he is writing by the authority of the calling of God on his life to be an apostle. Not according to his own desire, not according to his own agenda, but an apostle how? By the will of God of God. And I want us to pause there because what I think is true for Paul and why he starts the letter this way is true for you and I. There's really, is there anything more important than being able to look at your life right now and say, I'm in the will of God? Because if you're not, I hope part of what God will do in your heart today is to bring you in step with his will. But the will of God can be a bit confusing because Paul can say, I'm an apostle by the will of God and it be true. But could I write a letter and say, Doug, the husband of Jackie and father of six children and eight grandchildren by the will of God. Would that be true? Yeah, If you don't know, yes, that would be true. But it wouldn't be the same as what Paul said, an apostle by the will of God. I could write you a letter, Doug, a wearer of a plaid shirt by the will of God. True? True? Okay, you're maybe a little shirt. Yeah, true. Could I be wearing a solid shirt and still be in the will of God? Well, we'll see. But it's not the same as Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. Or I could write you, Doug, a thief of many chocolate chip cookies by the will of God. True or false? Okay, so you're like, I don't know about that one. Uh, True. I'm a thief of many chocolate chip cookies over the years. And by the will of God. But totally different than Paul, an apostle by the will of God. So here's the goal today. We're going to establish, hopefully, a clear understanding of three distinct expressions of what is meant by the will of God so that we can then respond appropriately to each individual expression to the will of God. But here's what uh, I have found. Uh, I've found that when it comes to the will of God, there are never ever-ending questions about, oh, well, what about this? And I want to be in the will of God, but I'm not sure how to discover the will of God. So one of the things I hope to do today is we always have Q&A after this time, but I'm hoping to finish in enough time that we'll actually have Q&A as part of this time. Because the privilege of watching online is you can just go, I'm going to... Seamlessly go straight to Q&A. If you come on campus, you have to come back later, which they're always available. But I always run into questions about the will of God. So uh, I'm putting this up now. You want to write this down real quickly because as we go through, if you have a question, you can text it to us. And we'll try and do it in the service. We did this Thursday night, live uh, because we only had the Thursday night crowd, and I think it was very effective for them. All right, so when we talk about the will of God, I want to give you a picture that I hope will be really helpful to you. And, and you were given a sheet with a bunch of blanks on one side. On the other side, hold it, not portrait, but hold it landscape, and let me encourage you, if you like to take notes, to... Uh, put on it what you might think of as an overhead shot of a three-lane highway, the ditch beside it, and then the guardrails that are on the outside of that. Because I think this picture reflects helpfully our understanding of three distinct expressions of the will of God. The guardrails, you could label the sovereign will of God. In other words, when we talk about the will of God, there is a will of God that is sovereign. In other words, these are impenetrable, divine guardrails in which, one up here, one down here, within which all of life happens. All of life. Now, this will be a stretch for some of you. This, this will seek to grow your understanding of God and theology. But the scripture describes our God as sovereign. So if he is sovereign, nothing happens out here or out here in the grass, outside the will of God, that he would go, ooh, that was outside my control. Everything that happens in life, good, bad, ugly, horrible, actually happens within the sovereign will of God. The three-lane highway is then defined by the declared will of God. By the declared will of God, we simply mean the scriptures, how God has revealed himself to us in the Bible, how we would know him and how he, we would know he wants us to live our lives, how he wants our marriages to function, how he wants us to raise our kids, how he wants us to handle our money, how he wants us to make decisions, how he wants us to forgive everything in terms of how God wants us to live the will of God Revealed in the declared will of God. Now, is there life that happens outside the declared will of God? The ditch? Yes or no? Whoa, lots and lots of life, right? In fact, Thursday night comment was Your drawing's not a very good one because it makes the ditch too narrow and the road too wide. And Granted, that is true. Actually, Jesus said the road is narrow. So why did I make it so wide? Because we have some things I wanna write in here, so that's why we made it. But in real life, the road is narrow and the ditch is really wide. You understand what the ditch is? The ditch is everything that happens outside of his declared will, but everything that happens still within his Sovereign will, which is everything. Within his declared will, it's a three-lane three highway. The center lane, what God has said. Now, you may go, well, you just said that's the whole declared will of God. No, the declared will of God has a lane of what he has specifically said. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. God has spoken, but within his declared will, there's also where God is silent. In other words, God has not defined every, spoken to everything, and so therefore, within his, if you will, declared will can be that which is pleasing to the Lord, but he hasn't Spoken to. I'll give you some examples in a moment. The third lane, personal conscience. In other words, in this lane, in personal conscience, you and I might come to different conclusions, and even though we come to different conclusions, we're both still inside the declared will of God which is often hard because when it comes to areas of personal conscience where God has not spoken black and white, there is some, if you will, gray. It's easy to become so fully convinced that I'm right that I want to kick you off the road. That you're in the ditch if you haven't decided. But there is, the scripture defines Personal conscience, where we can actually come to different conclusions but still be both within the declared will of God. All right, that's personal conscience. Again, I'm going to come back and give you a greater sense of how life works out in each of these, but these are the big areas. There's three distinct types of will of God the sovereign will of God all of life happens within that. There's the declared will of God. Everything that happens in here is pleasing to the Lord. Everything outside of this does not please the Lord. It's the ditch. So you might call this the ditch of disobedience, the ditch of evil and wrong, or you might call, and you might call this the road of righteousness, the road that pleases God. Within the road, there's a third distinct expression of the will of God. And that is a personally revealed will of God. A personally revealed will. So big categories. Understand first the sovereign will of God, then the declared will of God, then within that the personally revealed will, God's personally revealed will. Okay, with that broad structure, when Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, because that's how our letter starts that we're gonna study most of 2021. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, is he speaking according to God's sovereign will? Well, it has to be within the sovereign will because nothing happens outside of it, right? Is he speaking within the declared will of God? Yeah, to be an apostle is pleasing to God. So it's not in the ditch, it's on the road. Is he speaking about a personally revealed will? On the road to Damascus, Acts chapter nine, Paul then named Saul, a hater of Christians, a persecutor and murderer of Christians, is confronted and stopped by a blinding light. And in that blinding light, God speaks directly to Saul. And he says, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. So, this is a call of God on the, this man's life to within the declared will of God, in other words, stop persecuting me. That's not pleasing God. It's within the sovereign will, but it's not within the declared will. But I want you to not only stop, I have a specific path in which I am calling you to walk. And so, this is God's personally revealed will. When Paul is called to be Saul, then later Paul to be an apostle. All right. So uh, let's work our way from the outside in and try to go, all right, how's this really work out in life? What does beginning with the sovereign will of God, how does that really help me understanding those divine guardrails? First, God's sovereign will, the divine guardrails in life, it gives me hope. You might want to circle that. If this is now on the other side of your sheet, if you grabbed one on the way in. It gives me hope. Hope when? When people are evil. And when life is hard. And when life is confusing. All right, just don't fill in blanks. Is life ever hard and confusing? Yes? Yes? Are people ever evil? Yeah. I think probably people have said this through the generations, but nevertheless, it's true in this generation at this time, we need the hope of the sovereign will of God. That There are things going on that you might go, I hate this, I don't like this, I wish this wasn't happening. Has God lost his mind and lost control? No. Again, you may go. Oh, of course not. Well, let's get into our heads as the people of God. There are divine guide rails, guardrails on what's going on, and what's happening is not outside that. God is always, always in control. I may not always understand. I might not always like. But this, I am confident, and this has been super helpful for me as I have gone through my own personal hardships, my own personal disappointment. Nothing, you've heard me say this, nothing, because I believe in the sovereign will of God, nothing touches me that has not passed through the loving hands of my heavenly father. Nothing. at any point in my deepest hurt my greatest tears i never have to clench my fist and go god where are you and what are you doing because i have a hope that just because i don't understand it and just because it is i'm not denying that it's evil it's just not outside of the sovereign control of God. So church, let's not lose hope. If you have children, teenagers, give them some sovereign will of God, of hope in these days. Because we're kind of down in the mouth right now. And I don't think it's to the glory of God. God is, is working for his eternal good purposes so I can trust in him. It gives me confidence to ask God to work in ways that he hasn't promised. And that might seem like a funny thing to say, but when I pray about things that God has promised, it's simply, God, I believe that you will, and I'm asking that you will now. But when it comes to things that God has not promised, what do I do? I believe that he can because he's sovereign. I'm going to ask that he will. But I'm asking, knowing that will he always do what I want? Does God always do what you want? No. So should you stop asking? Yeah, see, that's the funny thing. Some I run into this all the time. People get discouraged because God doesn't do what they want Him to do. So they go, "I'm just going to stop asking," because it, it, it hurts my it hurts my feelings when God doesn't do what I want. I, I get that because it's like a personal offense. No. So what do you do with that? Here's what I do with that. I go, "Thank you, Lord." I am allowed to ask, but believe. You can do whatever you want. And so when you don't do what I ask, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. My feelings aren't hurt. I am not frustrated. I ask what I thought would be pleasing to you and you get to work because you are sovereign. See, the sovereign will of God will protect you from bitterness and anger and a fist shaken toward God. Understanding that God is sovereign and good and wise. He is is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants, but he's always all good as well and all powerful and all wise. So within that power, there's wisdom and goodness. Lord, I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna trust whatever you choose. Can you live with that? You see, It's that hope and confidence that allows me to say, within the sovereign will of God, when life is hard, confusing, and people are evil, God, I trust you. My own personal testimony is that this was the foundational truth that God established in my heart so that... When things got ugly and dysfunctional and broken, it did not become a root of bitterness in my heart. It was not like God has abandoned me. Instead, God had prepared me graciously to go, Lord, I don't understand it. I actually wish it wasn't true, but thank you. Thank you. See, it is the sovereign will of God that lays the foundation for you and I to live in obedience, to give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I could never do that if I didn't believe in the divine guardrails within which all of life happens. So we trust Him. We trust His wisdom. We trust His goodness. We trust His power. Everything inside there. A lot in the ditch, a lot of evil, a lot of confusion, a lot of hardship in the ditch. In the road, the declared will of God. Here's the beauty of the declared will of God. It is directive, it is protective, but never burdensome. I love that about my confidence in the word of God. But I wasn't always there, and I don't know if you are. Uh, There was a point in my life where I thought, God's word is like the fun killer, the joy killer. Everything, it's like diet. Everything that tastes good, you're not supposed to eat, right? Oh, eat this. This is good for you. so that's code for it. It tastes terrible. That's kind of the way I felt about God's word. It was like, it's good for me. It just tastes terrible. But I have come to believe it is good because it's directive, it's protective, and therefore never burdensome. John writes, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. It's actually the love of God that he has given us his commandments. Don't miss that. This is the love of God that He gave us His commandments. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Why? Because uh, they're not burdensome. Second, within His declared will, the road of righteousness, uh, there is extensive freedom in areas where He has not specifically spoken. I'll give you some practical example. Uh, has God spoken about whether I should wear plaid or solid? Well, my kids have lots of thoughts about that. B- but I have complete freedom. I can be on the road of righteousness in plaid or solid. Has God spoken about whether I can wear jeans in church or not? <laughs> lots of people have thoughts about that. But the Lord is silent on that So I can wear jeans and be on the road of righteousness. Could I wear a suit and be on the road of righteousness? Yeah, of course. All right, let's talk more meaningful. Within the declared will of God, is there only one person that God had that I could marry? Or did I have some freedom to marry? Yeah, I love Jackie with all my heart, but did I have freedom? Sure. Limited freedom, not unlimited. What was my limited freedom? A woman, right? It's important. Scripture says as a man, is to be married to a woman who's a believer. Don't be unequally yoked. Who isn't married to someone else. Hey, there's the things oh, you don't need to say that. Yeah, we do. God says, Doug, <laughs> want to be married? Yes, sir. <laughs> Choose a woman who loves me, who's not married. And there was a lot of them. The Lord allowed me within his declared will to choose. So years ago, we had a a youth pastor who was finishing up his last semester at Bible college, and he was single. And we believed it'd be better for him to be married. So I said, hey, you got one semester left, go back and find a wife. And he was like, oh, come on, you can't tell me to go find a wife. And I was like, yeah, I can. Go find a wife. It's not that easy. You're going to a Bible college where there's a bunch of women who love the Lord and who are not married to anybody else. Go pick one. <laughs> He's like, that's so unromantic. I, I, I understand. But also, do you understand that some people are like, I don't know if if I should. I shouldn't. Are they the right person? Ah, God help me! You know, appear to me in a blinding light, put a, something over their head. So just show me. And I want to say to that person, guess what? If they're of the opposite sex, and they're a believer, and they're not married to somebody else, God says, go for it. Seriously. Now, you think, oh, no, it could be hard. It could be. But here's the reality. Every person you marry is going to be hard to love because you're hard to love. Right? We all want to go, let me pick the right person so they'll be easy to love. That person does not exist. They really don't. And so, find someone the opposite gender who's a believer who's not married and you have freedom. There is not Doug shall marry Jackie in the scriptures. Silent. He shall marry a woman who's not married, who loves me. We must never call something sinful that the Bible does not call sin. Man, did I grow up with this. With great fear that I would be sinful, those around me decided to take things that the Bible didn't call sinful and make them sin in hopes that their human guardrail would slow me down on the pursuit of overcoming God's divine guardrail, which I never could (laughs) overcome that. But they wanted to keep me on the road, so they made it more narrow than God made it. That's called legalism. That's saying to please God, you got to live not only within God's commands, but whoop, ours as well. So things like, for me growing up, "Thou shall not dance." See, I like to blame my growing up for why I can't dance. It's just, that, and then I was just told it was sinful. So I'm a super godly person because I can't dance. Not really. That's not what happened. I just. Jackie says, feel the music. And I'm like, "Mm, I hear it. I don't feel it. (laughs) So, we don't say what God has said is okay as sinful. Because you know what we do when we do that? We ultimately undermine what God has said to be the road of righteousness. This is why... It's so painful to see folks who grew up in settings where the lines were painted smaller than God that they bail on God and end up in the ditch, but they didn't actually bail on God. They bailed on man-made painted lines. So let's not call sinful what the Bible doesn't call sin. On the flip, let's never label acceptable What the Bible has called sin. A lot of that going on. What the Bible has called sinful. We can be going, well, and here's how this happens. That seems antiquated, that seems old. I'm not sure that really applies anymore. It seems in our current day that God would be broader. And so we take the lines that God has clearly declared and we make the road wider. It's no longer the righteous road. It's the road that we want to live on versus the road that God has declared for us to live on. So when pursuing the will of God, if a person says to me, well, I know they're not a believer, but we really get along, we just really click, and they make me feel so good, and a believer is seeking God's will regarding a mate, and they choose an unbeliever, but go, "uh." Oh, But they're a good person. I mean, they don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but they're a good person. See what they've done? They've broadened the the lines to be able to fulfill their own desires. Happens in all sorts of ways in our current culture. A disturbing one for me right now is this whole idea that it's not so much getting drunk; it's just don't drive. Is that the lines God painted? See, I grew up. I grew up with more more narrow than what the Scripture says regarding alcohol. I grew up. Thou shalt not drink or you'll go to hell. That's not what the Bible says, actually. But now I see a a widening of the road that says, church believers, well, if you get drunk, just don't drive. Now, that is loving. If you're drunk, don't drive. But that's not the new line of drunkenness is acceptable as long as you don't drive. Happens in all sorts of ways. Individuals within the declared will of God may choose differently in matters of conscience. The biggest debate in the church recorded in the book of Acts is a fight over... Food sacrificed to idols, something that means nothing to us now. But let me describe it to you. Many folks who were hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel and now believing in Jesus had come from a background of the worship of idols. And part of the worship of idols was making sacrifices of food to the idols in order to please the gods. When that person then came to faith in Jesus, they considered that to be part of their old life, their old belief, and they would not eat food sacrificed to idols because it was part of idol worship. But other believers, including the Apostle Paul, said, You know, this whole thing of idols is nonsense. There's only one true God. Every idol that's being worshiped is just a piece of rock that somebody carved something out of, a piece of wood that somebody carved something out of. It's something that humans have made. And so, yes, there is that object, but does it have any power? Yes or no? No, there was no power in that idol. It was just an object of worship. And he said, if there's no power in the object, food sacrificed to it is still just food. The idol has no power, so it didn't impact the food. A burger is still a burger in our language. And so he went, I can eat that, no problem. And other people were like, "Ah! food sacrificed to idols, that's like idol worshiper. And he was like, no. And so he was, he said, by his own conscience, free to eat. And the other person, by their conscience, even though there was truly nothing wrong with the food, if they ate it, it would be like, I'm going back to my old ways. And so the New Testament conclusion is this. If it goes against your conscience, don't eat to the glory of God. If your conscience is free, eat to the glory of God. Two different decisions, both within the declared will of God, both on the road of righteousness. Now, don't misunderstand. Our conscience must be shaped by God's word. New believer here, new believing couple might come to me, well, I don't have to make this up. this really happened. Living together, not married. No problem, they weren't believers. came to Christ. Scripture says, "You' need to be married. Oh, our conscience is clear. Is it a conscience issue? No, it's not a that's not a conscience issue. That's a declared will of God issue. God has spoken in that regard. It's where God has not specifically spoken that you and I might have different decisions according to our conscience. That is why in our day to reference back to alcohol i understand why they painted the lines because they went if he doesn't drink he'll never get drunk true true that's not true that god says you cannot drink alcohol it doesn't say that in the scriptures but i am fully appreciate The conscience that says, either because of history or family or my own addictive personality, I am going to not drink even though I have freedom to drink. To the glory of God. And the person who goes, I understand that God has defined the line of righteousness as alcohol Is not a sin in and of itself. Drunkenness is. And so have they come to the conclusion? I can, without defiling my conscience, I can have a drink to the glory of God. Or not drink to the glory of God. The only addition to this is what Scripture defines as lovingly. If I'm around someone, if I have the freedom drink, but I'm around somebody who doesn't, then love says, I'm not going to defile their conscience. You see, on the road of righteousness, where God is silent, wisdom, counsel of others, wisdom is the key factor. In matters of conscience, love is the key factor. Sixth, on this road of righteousness, I should understand two things. That God promises to prune those on the road. The will of God is that we would bear much fruit and pruning makes us more fruitful. But he disciplines those who are in the ditch. Why? To get them back on the road. So he prunes On the road, he disciplines in the ditch because when I'm in the ditch, I can't bear fruit. So the discipline takes me from no fruit to fruit. The pruning takes me from fruit to more fruit to the will of God. When it comes to the sovereign will of God, my response is trust him. When it comes to the declared will of God, my response is to seek it, submit to it, and to walk in it. That is how God intends for me to respond to his declared will. I don't have to seek his sovereign will. (laughs) It's gonna happen. I can trust in it. But his declared will, I should grow in it, that I might submit to it and walk in it. All right. Leaves this. This within the declared will, the personally revealed will, what happened to the apostle Paul. Very important that we understand that this may occur according to God's choosing, but it's not promised or necessary. That is huge for you to hear. We see moments like this happen to individuals in the scriptures, Moses at the burning bush, Samuel while laying down, Paul on the road to Damascus, and we go, I want one of those. And it's actually the rare exception. Why? Because God has declared His will for us to walk in it. If the Lord has a personal revelation for you to walk in, you don't need to go like find it. Guess what? <laughs> Moses wasn't looking, God showed up. Saul wasn't looking. God showed up. It was God's choosing, and so it may occur, but it's not promised, and it's not necessary. It will obviously, well, let me not say obviously, it's important you understand, it'll never be in opposition to God's declared will. So if somebody says to me, Hey, God showed me in a dream that I am to marry this person, even though we're of the same gender, no, God did not appear and tell you that because that would go against his declared will. Third, an interpretation of circumstances is not the same as God's personally revealed will. One of the things we love to do, we want God's stamp on what we're doing so much. We like to line up the circumstances in life and go, see, this was God's personal will. Classic example, college student wants to go overseas and parents are like, I don't know about that. So it's Saturday afternoon, she tells me this, Saturday afternoon, and I wanted to go to the other side of the globe, but my parents didn't want to me. And as I was watching TV, a commercial for this country came on the TV, and it was clear the Lord was speaking through that commercial. And they were selling me on why this was God's will, and I was like, yeah, that was just a commercial. Really? I know the tendency, you probably do as well, to go, I want to line up circumstances because there's nothing like being able to put God's name on what we're doing, like the personally revealed will. Now let's, let's not do that. People will say to me, well, how do I know if it was the Lord or not? <laughs> if the Lord shows up in your life in a personal, direct way, you'll know it. Moses didn't go, man. That was like the weirdest bush. <laughs> he knew without a shadow of doubt God had spoken to him. So Saul was not confused. You will not be confused if the Lord speaks to you personally. So what's my response? To be open to it, without demanding it. To be open to it, without. Demanding it. All right, we got a few minutes for questions. Tracy's going to come up just like we do in in Q and A. Uh, and if you lost your the number, hopefully we have a a question or two that we can get started on. Not theoretical questions, like real questions that you've wrestled with in terms of, uh, so text us there.
1: We've Anything? Got, we've got real questions. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Um, first one here. Help me to understand how sexual abuse has passed through God's hands uh. and he allowed it to happen. Sincerely asking, can't wrap my head around it.
0: Yeah, totally get that. So there's not a flippant answer to that. I hope the I hope you can hear the heart of God in this. How do you get your head around the crucifixion of Jesus? Completely innocent person. Never did anything wrong. Nailed to a cross. Spit upon, crown beaten into the head. It's evil. Mm-hmm. The sexual abuse is evil. I'm not suggesting in any way that the individual that it was perpetrated upon deserved it. But I go to the cross because it stands in my thinking as the greatest evil ever perpetrated in humanity. And God used it for his eternal purposes. That in the cross, it's easy to see. Is that easy to see? No. No. So I'm not excusing it, not making light of it, but nor am I willing to put it outside of the divine guardrails. I hope, by God's grace, that there will be a point in this person's life where they'll be able to go, (laughs) I'm never glad it happened to me but I know the Lord in ways I would not have known the Lord had I not experienced that sort of evil against me. I love people in a way that I would not love people had that not been perpetrated against me. I am for purity, like I probably wouldn't be for had that not been perpetrated upon me. I'm not equating these in any way, but the brokenness... I look at the brokenness in my own family growing up and I wish it wouldn't have been true. But I can genuinely say, thank you, Lord, for what it's taught me in terms of my own relationship with the Lord, about forgiveness, about trusting him, about my own commitment to marriage. I can look and go, or the fact of how many single moms have said to me, I'm so encouraged that your story reminds me that my kids are not forever lost because our marriage broke up. That's I would have never thought of those things that way. And so, that's peanuts compared to what I'm talking about, what the question is. But the principles remain the same. God can even, Joseph's life was the biblical example, use the greatest, the great evils of others against us for his glory.
1: And y'all are sending in great questions. We've got a bunch of good ones here. So um, God's declared word directly tells me to do three things. My husband won't let me. God's declared word says to submit to my husband. I am submitting to my husband. I'm living in the ditch with regard to these three things.
0: Wow. I don't know what the three things are, so that makes it a little difficult to answer that question.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: The closest thing I can share with you personally is, I remember having a conversation right over here, a, a gal living in submission to her husband. She's a believer living in submission to her husband, and he refused to give. And she was like, but the scripture says we're to give, but he won't let me. Um, so in that scenario, I'd actually very, I think, honoring of the Lord to say, when you submit to your husband, you're submitting to the Lord. So the Lord is not confused about what's going on here. You keep submitting to the Lord and, and use this image as you submit to the Lord and you. By submitting to your husband, you're kind of ducking and letting the Lord get your husband. That, see what I mean? Just duck and let the Lord whack him. And seriously, ladies, lots of ladies want to go, no, let me whack him.
1: Sometimes it feels like the easier thing to do. It is. <laughs> you want, well, I'll. I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one right <laughs> I'm there. just kidding. Uh, I. Uh, Ladies, you will not change your husband by disobeying the Lord. Mm. So trust the Lord. Uh, and again, I'm a little reluctant because something might be in there that I'm not hearing. Uh, so I don't want to, but in principle, mm-hmm. we obey the Lord. And in that, lives, and the Lord knows mm. what you're doing in that. And he'll. I hope he'll give you freedom in the future, but I don't think you're disobeying in those three other things.
1: Um, in regard to the personally declared will, isn't there a time when we should not ask God about something anymore because he's revealed it to us personally that his answer is final? Like when Paul asked three times for God to remove a personal hardship and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you.
0: Yeah, that's, an, uh, that's a clear biblical example of someone... Uh, um, the Lord was ask. Paul was asking, asking, asking for some healing. It would seem in his life, and it didn't happen, and so he stopped asking. So, yeah, there can be a stop asking. It can be, but my stop asking is usually based on the fact that I grow weary or I grow discouraged. It's not because I'm settled. That The Lord has said no. So if you're settled that the Lord has said no, then you can stop. But if you're stopped because you're discouraged, because you're weary, because you think it just never seems that God answers, uh, the persistent widow, Jesus tells the story, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking.
1: Um, in regards to marriage, how much should your conscience align with the person you are looking to marry?
0: Ah, yeah. When I say no one's easy to love, it is true that some are easier than others. So uh, when you choose a mate, it's not, it's the scripture says three three non-negotiables, opposite gender, unmarried themselves, and a believer. Within that, There may be some big rocks that are important to you. And so wisdom would say, choose according to those big rocks that are important to you so that there's not constant conflict in that. For example, when I pursued Jackie, big rocks for me were that she would want to be a mom who stayed at home to raise our children if God gave us children. Quite frankly, I'm not saying it, was, it would have been wrong for her to want a career. I was not interested in a woman who would see it as second rate to stay at home and raise the kids. So that was important to me so that there wouldn't be conflict. Uh, second, important to me was someone who that not was just a believer but was pursuing the Lord. Look for somebody who's saying, yes, Lord, whatever. Third, for me, because uh, I was planning to be a Bible teacher in a Christian school, you are going to be super poor if you do that, seriously. Uh, I, uh, Jackie would say, I don't remember agreeing to this, but, uh, but I was looking for someone who I thought would be content with pretty little because I thought we would be really, really poor. And we were as long as we were Bible teachers in a Christian school.
1: Um, If it seems God is silent, am I not praying or asking the correct way? How do I know what I am doing is God's will?
0: Okay. I'm going to let you go with that one. I see the time. Tracy's going to go over to continue with our online uh, crowd. All right. The question was, uh, say it to me again.
1: It seems God is silent. Am I not praying or asking the correct way? How do I know if what I'm doing is God's will?
0: Uh, Okay. Uh, How do I know if what I'm doing is God's will? Always start with the declared will of God. Any yes or no in the scripture that says, yes, this is the will of God. Or no, that would not be the will of God. So always start there. That's why the center lane is what has he said, both in the yeses and in the noes. If he remains silent, does not mean automatically we're asking incorrectly. Part of our faith is endurance. And we are a microwave society. Uh, Those Clayton, Roxanne, who dedicated Tate this morning, We use a carry a K cup, and they introduced me to a French press. But you got to wait like four minutes, and I was like, "Who's got four minutes?" And it might be better for coffee snobs, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's nice. You got to drink it with your pinky out because it's a French press coffee." But I was like, "I I, I, I bought one. I tried it, and I'm like, we got to take this sucker back because I'm like." My cake cup, I've been like halfway through my coffee already. So uh, it, that's a stupid illustration, but we can be like that with God. And it's like, God, we like submitted the request yesterday. We have a 24-hour turnaround at our company. What's the deal, Lord? So silence, we're so used to immediate response. I texted them. They're not replying back. Uh, my son, he, he texted me, what? Within 24 hours, you're not talking to me anymore? It's like, uh, doing work. Sometimes we can get that sense of quick reply, quick reply, and we apply it to the Lord. And part of faith is growing and waiting on the Lord. So within the revealed will, I mean the declared will, look there first. If you're not sure, ask the Lord, and don't grow impatient with him. Lots more questions, I'm sure, but it's... We're a few minutes over already. Uh, You can, if you want to listen more, I don't presume you will, but if you want, we do put online the follow-up questions. Most of all, friends, is there a sovereign will? Trust it. Is there a declared will? Seek it, submit to it, walk in it. Does he at times, on occasions, give a personally revealed will? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need it, but if he appears to you, if he speaks to you, you'll know it, and then walk in it. So, Lord, I pray that we would live in your will to your glory, knowing, believing, confident that nothing is better than the will of God. We love you. Thanks for revealing yourself to us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, thanks.